Hi, I'm Pastor David Jones. Welcome to my sermon archives. For more audio sermons, books, blog posts, and other goodies, visit www.pastordavidwentz.com. That's spelled W-E-N-T-Z. And follow me on Facebook or LinkedIn. I pray God speaks to you as you listen. We are going through the, uh, some, some pictures in the Bible of the church. And we have talked about uh, the church as a gathering of saints, as God's family, as the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. Last week we talked about the biblical picture of the church as the temple of the Holy Spirit. And today we look at the church as the army of God. Our memory verse, and by the way, these are uh, great things to memorize. The verses that I put out as a memory verse or a key verse each week are always ones that will be really good if you can get it down in your heart, get it into your mind, so that the Lord can bring it back out. The Holy Spirit can bring it to your mind when you need it, because sometimes you need a Bible verse and you don't have time to go looking through the Bible to find it. But if you've already memorized it and thought about it and got it in your mind, then the Lord has it right there to use it and bring it to you when you need it. So our memory verse for this morning, if you would repeat after me, Matthew 16, 18. I will Matthew 16, 18. I will hold and my the church. gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And the gates of hell shall not Matthew prevail 16, against me. Matthew 16, 18. And that was Jesus speaking. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The army of God. Nowadays, in some circles, that is not a very popular uh, kind of language. As a matter of fact, there have been some uh, way out fringe groups that have identified themselves as God's army and take it on themselves to go around and smite whoever they think God would have them smite. And that is a totally wrong interpretation of the Bible and what we're doing and of the way God works. That is not the kind of thing we're talking about here. But the fact is, the Bible uses military language all the way through it, quite a bit, not just in describing the history parts where this country invaded that country with their army, but um, in, in many kinds of uh, analogies and all kinds of other uses the Bible uses military language. Somebody says Jesus never used military language. Well, he did talk about if, if you, one country is going out to uh, declare war on another country, first the king would be wise if he counts up his army and counts up the other country's army and makes his, his decision based on that. But the main reason that Jesus didn't use military language, I believe, is because the popular idea of the time was that 
the Messiah, the deliverer that God was going to send, would be a military leader, a conqueror who would raise an army and drive the, Ru the Romans out of Israel. That is not what Jesus was about. And so he did not want to confuse the issue by using that kind of language. But as I said, the Bible is full of the language of conflict and war. God is called the Lord of hosts 235 times in the Bible. The Lord of hosts. And in Old English, a host was another name for an army. So 235 times, the Bible writers, inspired by God, call God the Lord of armies. The church is God's army in the battle for truth and justice and love. A little bit of history here. Whenever you're talking about battles and wars, it's helpful to have some history to know how they came about. And so, of course, we know God created the world and it was good. The devil, by subterfuge and uh, propaganda, invaded the world and uh, turned it bad. And as we've been listening with the children's sermons previously, Noah's flood and uh, the Tower of Babel uh, were necessary to try and get it started. And those things didn't work. And finally, God said, what I'm going to do then, instead of trying to deal with the whole human race all at once, is I'm going to choose a family, and I'm going to teach them to know me, and they can demonstrate to everybody else so everybody else can see how blessed they are from following me, so everybody else will want to come to me too. And so he started with Abraham. And you could almost say he established a beachhead with Abraham. And he's gradually been taking back ground ever since. Not physical ground, although there was some overlap of the people and the land that they lived on, but taking back ground in the minds and the hearts of human beings, of the human race. There's an old world Christendom that refers to the place, the land, the, the countries where the Christian idea and uh, Christian values are ascendant and uh, have a lot to do with what those countries do. And as God established this beachhead with Abraham and then spread it out with his children and the nation of Israel. And then they went in and, and uh, took the land that God had promised to them, uh, the land of Israel, and then began to spread out uh, with Christ. And, it, and Christianity began to spread in different parts of the world, became known as Christian. That uh, Christendom, not only did, did we have then the part that the devil still controlled on the outside that Christendom was spreading into, but the devil began to have propagandists and saboteurs within Christendom. 
and all kinds of things have been done in the name of Christ that are not Christ-like and not what God wanted us to do. So the battle, the war, is being waged both in terms of expanding the way of God, the, the truth and justice and love of God, expanding that out to take that ground back from the devil, uh, but also on the inside to hold it. When we are in a war, when we're talking uh, about these kind of conflicts, there are a number of things we need to know. There are things that an army needs to know. And if an army is going to fulfill its purpose, then one of the things it needs to know is the enemy. Who is the enemy? What is the enemy? Toward the beginning of our second reading, we have a verse that we've talked about before because we, the second reading may have sounded familiar to you because we ran into it when we were going through the book of Ephesians verse by verse not too long ago. And I think some other times we've looked at it, but it tells us in uh, chapter 6 of Ephesians verse 12, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Our enemy is not other people. It's not other nations, political entities, uh, ethnic groups. We're not fighting flesh and blood. We're not fighting people. But against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Now that's not saying there are evil spirits in heaven with God, but the heavenly places meaning uh, there's another place that refers to the prince of the power of the air. And so the kind of the atmosphere, as you say, boy, there's an eerie atmosphere in this place or a, a spooky atmosphere, that kind of a thing. That's the enemy. That is the enemy of the church. It's not other denominations. It's not other churches. It's not other religions. Uh, some of those are the tools that the enemy uses, not other churches or denominations, but, but uh, other things that are, are not of God, that are tools. But the enemy is the forces of evil behind all of that. An army needs to know the battleground. You need to know the terrain on which the battle will be fought. And in this case, the battleground is the human soul. The, the uh, word, the Greek word is psyche. It deals with, it's where we get the word psychologist. It's everything that a psychologist deals with. The mind, the memory, the emotions, the imagination, the will. That is the battleground. And I've used this before, but some of you may remember uh, the old Popeye cartoons. And sometimes Popeye would be faced with a choice, and he would be considering, should I do this or should I do that? And this little devil Popeye, dressed in a red suit with a pitchfork, would appear on one shoulder, 
and a little angel Popeye with a harp and a halo and wings would appear on the other shoulder and they would whisper into his ears trying to get him to decide uh, either to go the wrong way or to go the right way. And that, I think, is a great depiction of the battleground of the human soul. The devil is trying to keep human beings, human souls, in darkness and deception and slavery. And God is trying to set them free uh, without violating our free will. So the systems, the means, the tools, as I said, that, that the devil is using, his weapons, if you will, are primarily human belief systems because the, the battle for the soul is won in when the human person makes a decision of the will to follow one way or the other, to follow God or to reject God, which by definition means following the devil. There is no Switzerland in spiritual battles. There, there is no neutral territory. Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're against me. So human belief systems, false religions that would draw people away from God, away from the truth of God. And let me be very clear. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. You cannot come to God the Father unless you come through Jesus Christ. So religions that would... Uh, play on the religious, spiritual aspects that God built into our human bodies, into our human minds, our souls, uh, that would not go through Jesus, would lead off in a, a blind way, a, a, a different alley that, that winds up in the wrong place, that can't get us to God. That is one of the areas that we need to be fighting. Worldly philosophies of materialism or hedonism or atheism or asceticism or whatever it might be that says, I can do it myself. I can work my way into heaven. I can make myself good or I can make myself worthy without Jesus. All of those keep people in bondage to the devil. You see, ever since Adam and Eve, people have been born into slavery to this world systems. Back when slavery was going on, and uh, in other places in the world now I, where, where slavery is happening, maybe not so much, but definitely in American slavery, uh, if your parents were slaves, then you were born a slave and you stayed a slave and you never knew anything else. Adam and Eve made themselves slaves to the devil and their children and descendants have been born into slavery to this world systems and don't even know there's anything different. The church is God's army of liberation to set them free, to set them free. Or like in World War II when the American soldiers marched into, and, and al other allied, but I think in many cases it was American soldiers, marching into 
uh, places where the Germans had concentration camps and setting people free. An army of liberation. That's the kind of army that the church is. So every army has offensive strategies, defensive strategies, and support structures. And I am uh, well aware that I have uh, military people listening to me, so I hope I'm getting this right. But uh, offensive structures are our first reading in 2 Corinthians 10. Talk about destroying false ideas with the truth of God's love and grace and holiness. He says, we are humans, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ because true freedom is only in obeying Christ. So how do we do that? What are the fronts? It's missions. As we go into places where people are uh, in other religions, in, uh, in pagan religions, animist religions, whatever they may be, missions is a front where we destroy those false ideas with the truth of God's love and grace and holiness. Evangelism is the front within Christendom, where we deal with people inside the so-called Christian parts of the world who don't know the Lord and confront those things. Now, the Bible talks a lot about signs and wonders as a, a, a way of drawing people, of demonstrating to God. Uh, uh, demonstrating God, the truth of God to people. And we have seen, we've experienced healings and miracles and things like that. They don't just, uh, didn't just happen in Bible times. They happen today. Corporate acts of mercy and justice. When the church goes out and does relief measures and uh, helps out after disasters, and demands justice, like the abolition of slavery was a Christian church-led uh, uh, function. These kinds of things uh, go on the offense. Personal demonstrations of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. When you and I, in our relationships with other people who don't know the Lord, demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit of love and joy and peace, and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, we demonstrate those things. That is uh, going on the offense against all the deception of the devil. Intercessory prayer. When we pray and invoke the power of God for other people, that is like projecting air power uh, against the, uh, the devil at a distance. And we do these things. Uh, Paul says in the first verse there of 10, he says, I, Paul, appeal to you with the gentleness and kindness of Christ. We are an army on the offense, 
but we are not offensive. We are only offensive, but we are not offensive. We are gentle. We appeal. We don't judge. We don't condemn. We appeal with the gentleness and kindness of Christ. And somebody says, well, why are we on the offense? Because our key verse says, our memory verse, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell are not an offensive weapon. We don't have to be on the defense against hell because he, the hell is behind its own gates. We, the church should be besieging the powers of the enemy. There are times when, however, there are counterattacks and the church, the army of God, needs to be on defense. And that is our second reading, the armor of God. All those good things that we mentioned that we heard read, truth and righteousness and the word of God and prayer and peace, uh, all of those things defend us personally. But an army is not just one person. When we all get together, one of the reasons that the Roman army was so powerful was when they had all of that armor on and they were formed up in their phalanxes and they were uh, protecting each other as well as themselves with their armor. They would have these big shields and they would get together and put all the shields together and they would all be behind the shields together and all of the shields being together created an almost like a solid big huge shield that the whole army could move forward on. So our army, our, our armor, the armor of God, the characteristics of what we believe and what we live, they are our defense. An army has uh, offensive uh, strategies and structures, defensive strategies and structures, and support strategies and structures, and that's prayer. Our second reading ends with saying, keep on praying, because prayer is how we receive our orders. Prayer is how we receive our intelligence about what the enemy is doing. Prayer is how we forward the headquarters, our requests for support and reinforcements and supplies. The last thing I want to say as we are running out of time is that victory is assured. This is not a questionable war that we're in. Our memory verse, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Shall, as opposed to will, uh, I know we have some English teachers out there, shall means it it uh, is going to happen. No question about it. When Jesus rose from the dead, he defeated the enemy's greatest weapon, which was death and the fear of death. The fight goes on, but it's like World War II after Hiroshima. World War II continued for a while after the atomic bombs were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, but... Uh, there was no question who was going to win at that time. Romans 8, 37 and 38 says, Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us.
And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our fears about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. And if they can't separate us from God's love, they can't separate us from God's victory. Victory is assured. One last thing, the retirement plan in God's army. You know, we're, we have a great, our U.S. military has a great retirement. If you hang in there and serve your 20 years, you get great benefits. You get a pension, you get health care, you get PX privileges. But the, the retirement plan in God's army is out of this world. In God's army, if you remain faithful, 2 Timothy 4, 6 to 8 describes it. Paul said, the last letter that we have recorded that he wrote, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Keep the faith, keep your armor on, keep praying, keep telling people about God, keep demonstrating the kingdom, keep fighting the good fight. Victory is assured. Let's say our memory verse one more time. Matthew 16, 18. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Matthew 16, 